and welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. We're bringing you a really special episode and doing something a little bit different today. This is something that, a topic that I've wanted to really hit for a long time, but haven't haven't really gotten the chance to. But today's day, we're kind of exploring the relationship between chefs and producers. And to do that, I have two guests in studio today. I'm going to introduce them one by one so we can kind of get familiarized with voices here, starting with Kevin Novak. He is the founder of Flavor Country Farms in Honey Creek, Iowa. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks thanks for having me today, Dan. And we've also got here Matt Moser. He is the executive chef at Butterfish and Sternella. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dan, for having us. Yeah. So obviously, you guys have a professional relationship and that, Kevin, you supply Matt's restaurants with microgreens and... Uh, just different produce items, but you guys, you have a relationship that extends beyond that. Can you kind of tell me how far back does your relationship go? How did you guys meet? Kevin, you want to take this? <laughs> uh, well, we met in sixth grade at Kiewit Middle School out in Omaha. And, uh, I- I'm a Kiewit grad myself, so yeah, we, we wow. shared that. There you go. Oh, look at that. Crazy yeah, that's world. how we met, and you know, we just became buds and, you know, buds for life type deal, and that's how we met, right, Mosier? Yeah, I think we uh, explored a lot of things, got in a lot of trouble together, and <laughs> he and I... When, uh, you were at my first concert, yeah. Vanilla Ice. I was right at the Ranch Bowl. <laughs> at the Ranch Bowl, yeah, that was fun. He was actually in his metal phase at that point. Yeah, multiple phases of music for me, but... Uh, um, yeah, so we met, and uh, our relationship uh, blossomed, and uh, we took a couple classes together in high school on cooking, and... Kevin decided to go to culinary school at Sheik in Chicago, and I toured the school with him, and my father thought it was a good idea for me to get a regular education, as he put it. <laughs> and uh, Kevin did that, and I went to Lincoln for two years and fooled around and then went to Le Cordon Bleu in uh, Portland, Oregon. It was Western? Yeah. Western, yeah. And then uh, visited him a few times, and then he moved back to Omaha and started his business. Well, yeah. Mean, obviously, like, it's it's always cool to, like – you know, to have that friendship outside of work. But when you get the chance to work with someone that you already have that long-standing relationship with, just how much of a, like an extra barrier of trust does that create? Well, you know, it, it can kind of go both ways. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, well, sure. <laughs> obviously, you know, Matt being a, a good friend of mine, you know, I always want to give him good product, good quality product. He wants to trust in me. But then let's say... I messed up on a week. He's the guy like, hey, man, you're my buddy. I can't get that for you. Help me out and do mm-hmm. get it from somewhere else. As opposed to with a new relationship that I'm just developing, I can't exactly tell them like, hey, I don't got your product for you this week. It's going to kind of sour, sour mm-hmm. it up a little. So that's where Matt can come in with, uh, you know, stuff like that. But I hate doing that, you know, uh, but that's kind of a, one of the trust deals. But you know, um, I always like to try to get as the best quality of stuff I can to everybody if mm-hmm. I could, but sometimes it's just not always the way it goes. Mm-hmm. So. Matt, what type of products do you get from Flavor Country Farms for your restaurants? Uh, a lot of things. Uh, Year-round, we get microgreens in every fashion, but uh, sorrel is my favorite and micro cilantro are two of my favorites. Uh, but right now, cucumbers, pickling cucumbers, roast seven squash, oyster mushrooms, jalapenos, Tomatoes, cherry tomatoes. Eggplants. What do you think of those? Eggplants, yeah. Nice lot of Asian varieties. So, 
Uh, right now, I mean, between Kevin and a few others, he's pretty much my exclusive uh, plug for produce mm-hmm. through the season. So, How important is it for chefs to develop those relationships with local purveyors and get local products as a term, as opposed to, you know, things that are coming in from all over the country? Um, very important for me. And, you know, we're not 100% farm to table, but we try to support as much as we can and when we can. And uh, having that relationship with Kevin and having him harvest, you know, things within days or hours or minutes between uh, before bringing it to us is absolutely amazing, and you can't beat it. So, mm-hmm. now obviously, you know, we kind of talked about this. You know, Kevin is your friend, and when he's starting this farm, I'm sure you know you wanted to support him, but at the same time, you know, you're not going to sacrifice quality. You know, you have to give the finest products to your guests, to your customers. Um, what went into your decision to start using Flavor Country Farms, and why is that been such a fruitful partnership? Um, you know, first and foremost, obviously, we had a relationship, and <clears throat> you always try to support your friends as much as possible. Um, and, you know, for instance, I was getting mushrooms from a different local guy out of Iowa for, you know, three or four years, and Kevin told me he wanted to start growing mushrooms. And like you said, there's a, a period of building that trust. Yes, I know Kevin. I know his passion, but I don't know his product yet. Mm-hmm. So we've been able to kind of learn together and having that trust. And he can call me and say, you know, what did you think? What was wrong? What would you do? How did it? How did these turn out this time? Has been exciting for me. So I've had to have a couple of hard breakups and, uh, <laughs> with purveyors I've had for a long time, but. At the end of the day, his product speaks for himself, and, you know, he's my good friend, so I have to support him in any way I can. Yeah, you know, and on top of that, I mean, uh, as far as the quality control thing, you know, when he breaks my balls, (laughs) it makes me a better grower. Right. You know, know, if something's too big or too little. Um, And it, it helps out in the end. With, with the production side on us. Well, yeah, it's good to have constructive criticism. I think there needs to be that, that dialogue and that back and forth where, you know, you're, it, it helps you improve on what you're supplying, not only to Matt, but to, but to everyone. And if, and if there's none of that, then I'm just going to go along thinking I'm doing okay. And then if, if sales go down, then it's like, well, what's going on here? I didn't hear anything. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll always hear it from him, mm-hmm. you know, and that's good. Good for business. Now, obviously, Butterfish and Sternella are two of your favorite restaurants that you supply to but flavor country farms is all over omaha and some of the best restaurants what are some other restaurants that you uh give produce microgreens mushrooms to now uh, we do v mertz mm-hmm. la bouillon we've done boiler room a few times via farina uh let's see here 801 chop house we've done spencer's a couple times noli pizzeria Alcarant. Stoke and Goat. Alcarant, yeah, <laughs> Alcarant. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yoshitomo. That's just a few on the uh, the restaurant list there. Yeah. I just want to give people a, a yeah. bit of a perspective so they know when they're when they're going to these restaurants, they're like, hey, I know where this where this stuff's coming from. I know where this mushroom comes from. Yeah, you know, all those guys like to support local local growers and whatever's in season, mm-hmm. you know, which is neat. That's why their menus are always changing up on, on you and uh, – Whatever's in season, that's what they're making. That's what's fresh. Now, Kevin, what is the dialogue like between you as a producer and between these local chefs? Like, what's the give and take between you saying, hey, I'm growing this awesome thing. I think it would be, you know, you could use it in this way, or I think you would really like to use this versus the chef coming to you and saying, hey, I'm really interested in this product. Can you grow it for me? 
It's well, I try not to go there and tell them how to use a product. That's, yeah, right. It's <laughs> not going to get me very far. Uh, but during the winter time, you know, mushrooms and microgreens are going to be year round. So during the winter, when we're getting ready for everything else, I'll kind of just chit chat a little bit and see if there's anything special that anyone would like to see grown. And then I kind of take a mix of that. I take, I go through seed guides, look at new things that that are being developed, and then I just kind of come up with my list for the year. And then as it goes on, you know, you have your spring, summer, fall. I'll always, in my weekly text messages, put out, okay, coming up next week or in a couple weeks or next season, you know, be ready for it. So people are ready for it. And then we just kind of roll things out. I'll take in some samples while I'm dropping off mushrooms or microgreens, have them check it out. And then if it's good, it's good. Mm -hmm. If it's not usable, then I'll try and put it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Matt, what's that balance like on your end between, you know, taking suggestions from a producer or, you know, trying some of those samples that they bring in versus you actually asking for a specific product. I think it's give and take. And a lot of times you're surprised with something you might not thought you wanted to use uh -huh. and uh, you fall in love with it. And what's the name of the pepper you shared with me last week? That Fatali. Yeah. That turned out to be one of my favorite. It's almost like a habanero, but sweeter Number and spicier. One, my favorite for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I've asked Kevin to grow, uh, Asian variety of eggplants for bolster and LM butterfish and these uh, Thai graffitis and the Thai purple and Thai whites are some of my favorite eggplants I've been able to use in a long time. So, uh, you know, then he brings things like the row seven squash, a Dan Barber variety. That's just absolutely amazing. You can't beat it. So one of my favorite parts about going to locally sourced restaurants is that like before I go, I always check the menu because I know something is going to have changed on it. That, like, based on what's fresh and what's in season, there might be a new dish that I've never tried or something that I've heard about in another city, but I haven't gotten a chance to try. How often are you updating your menus at your restaurants based off of what's fresh and what's available? Sure. When we start planning our menus, probably two months before the season change, and obviously, being a chef for a long time and in this region, you know what's available and what's coming in season. And we have some staples that stay on the menu that we tweak the what we call the set on. So you might have a steak frites and you might change the set depending on what's in season and what's available. Uh, but the way where we try to shine the uh, kind of product that pops up out of nowhere is specials that we run. So we try to highlight what's in season and really challenge ourselves to use what's in season. So, What's your favorite season? Um, I would say spring or fall. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Falls. spring is pretty neat. Yeah, Lots of neat stuff is. in the spring. So you mentioned the fatale pepper, Kevin. Has there been any other ingredient that you found has been, like you've kind of brought it in as a sample and it's ended up being a big hit with chefs? Oh, just weird assortments of microgreens. Yeah. You know, this, this next one we're working on, I'm working on micro carrots. Oh. which is pretty interesting. It's nice and frilly, tastes like a carrot. And I've never seen microcarrots <laughs> yeah. around. Do you ever see microcarrots? Nope. Yeah, you know, just trying to stay on, on top of that kind of stuff. Uh, the thing, a good thing about microgreens is I can develop it, mess it up, or tweak it in, in a month, mm -hmm. three weeks to four weeks. You know, if I want to do a new tomato or a new hot pepper, I mean, we're looking at a long time. We're looking at a whole season. Fatali pepper, I got... I did the seeds early January. They're just starting to ripen now. So 
with, with that, it's just, it, it's really weird. There's another weird one I got going on right now called the habanada pepper. I remember you showed us this yeah. when we toured. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another row seven pepper. It's a heatless habanero. It has no heat. That's it crazy. Just, you bite into it and it tastes like a fruity habanero. That was that one at your place. Yeah. I'm like, what the heck? It's not even hot. Uh, <laughs> that's, we thought it was a fatali, and that's what it was. I'm like, wait, a fatali is supposed yeah, to be much hotter. He built it up to be a really spicy. <laughs> and it was not spicy. And, and it was nothing. So, so that's kind of an interesting deal. We'll kind of see what's, see what's going on with that. Alcaran has some of those going to them mm-hmm. this weekend. So I'm sure they'll do something cool. That, that, now, that pepper can make like a fun party trick. You bring that out and be like, hey, guys, check this out. I can just yeah. eat a habanero like it's nothing. Just, Look at how badass I is, am. And give that guy a real habanero. Yeah, there you go. You want to go (laughs) habanero to habanero? Man. I I think you're on to something there. You know, the hottest thing I ever ate was a whole habanero. Uh, I mean, I've eaten ghost peppers, Mm -hmm. reapers, and stuff like that, but just slices. But I ate a whole habanero once. Oh, my gosh, it put me down. Yeah, I've done that as well. It's quite painful. Yeah, your throat starts swelling up, can't swallow. You just feel it down in your gut. (sighs) Not a good feeling. Okay, (laughs) back to... Good, peaceful thoughts here. Um, Matt, obviously, you know, this is a unique situation with Kevin where you had a previous relationship coming in. But as a chef, how do you normally find um, find purveyors and producers? Uh, word of mouth, you know, using a network we have with local chefs and been introduced to purveyors that way. And then a lot of purveyors do their work and they come to your restaurant and bring in samples and hand you business cards and product lists and go about it that way. And then obviously social media is a huge uh, tool for advertisement. And so you can kind of graze and see what they have to offer through that. Now you mentioned word of mouth being an important way. Is there like, I'm trying to like, just think about what that would look like if there's like, you know, you find this awesome local purveyor and you're like, Oh, this is fantastic. I kind of want to keep this all to myself. Is there like any of that or have you found is the chef community very, very open where if they find something they'd like, it's they're telling everybody about it. Uh, I think it's, it depends on who you're talking about. Yeah. Chef, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I've had Ben Mays introduce me to a lot of people, but I know that uh, I kind of get second pickings when it comes to those purveyors and all Cronkets first, but I'm okay with that. And you uh-huh. know, he introduced me to them, but um, you know, I think it depends on what chef you're talking to. And I think, you know, supporting local purveyors is the number one thing. So if you can help the farmer out, why not? Now, Kevin, I need to get from you the origin story behind Flavor Country Farms because it's just, it's kind of crazy. Like looking at your background, you were, you know, like you said, you went to culinary school. You started off as a chef in Chicago and, you know, here you are now. You're growing mushrooes and microgreens and produce in in Honey yeah. Creek, Iowa. Like, just give people the quick backstory here and tell us why Flavor Country Farms is such a special place. Well, uh, I went to culinary school, did that whole thing in Chicago, lived there for about 10 years, doing some fine dining type stuff. I moved back to Omaha, switched to the front of the house, kind of got out of the uh, field for a little bit, went into carpentry at that point, <laughs> which actually helped me build my current mushroom farm, which you were in. Uh-huh. So I did all that kind of stuff, and then I went to school for horticulture, and while I was there, I kind of had some sort of vision of like a farm-to-table type bed and breakfast almost deal where you could have a farm and I'd be actually cooking for people. Mm-hmm. And it was just all in the back of my mind, you know, this and that. And then sure enough, it, it formed into 
what is now flavor country, you know, and that coin, that term is actually an interesting term as well. I, I, I don't think any, I think flavor town had been developed by that guy. Area, <laughs> yeah, right? I was going to say. So now flavor <laughs> country, when I used to cook family meal in Comita, when, uh, Comita, when I was a chef, I'd be like, welcome to flavor country and set the, uh-huh. set the dish up, right? I'd say, pack your bags. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, so then I named my farm that. So when people stop by, I can say, welcome to flavor country. Nice. So it's kind of a neat deal, full circle. Uh, but really, you know, I think as with what we're doing, it's a kitchen inspired farm. As you can see, lots of different varieties and stuff like that. But that's really how it all came into fruition. And uh, we're, we're just we're just going for it, mm-hmm. I suppose, now. Now, I would imagine it, it's kind of hard to, you know, break into the business. Like, just getting, getting your foot in the door with restaurants and local chefs trying to convince them, hey, I'm a new guy, but this product, this is legit. How much did being a former chef and kind of understanding that mindset and how they're thinking, how did that help you kind of get your foothold at the beginning? It's helped quite a bit, you know, just kind of understanding, I suppose, what they like and dislike, Mm -hmm. maybe more or less. Mm -hmm. Um, Sales, you know, you got to be good at sales too, in order to approach chefs and communication skills and things like that, of course. Some farmers, I don't think do that as Mm -hmm. much, but it definitely helps out a lot. Once you get in there, the samples, you know, the product will sell itself, you know, if it's good. You know, I don't always grow good stuff. I'm still learning a lot of things, uh, you know, going from a garden to a medium-sized garden to scaling up is, it, it takes a lot on you, you know, especially being organic. You can't just go spray a bunch of stuff to knock things out. You got to pick them off or pick the weeds and things of that nature. So it's, a, it's quite a balance that you try to figure out with that. Um, going back to with the uh, with the chef thing, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely helped out being a chef, approaching chefs, coming to a production site. I'd like to get more chefs actually growing food. I think that'd be kind of neat. You know, get some chefs out there and work in the field, see what it's see what it's like. Matt, you, know, it's, you, uh, you want to get yeah, out in the field? Those, <laughs> it's a whole different all those extra hours. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go work in the kitchen. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> I told him if you know, with this whole COVID thing, if these restaurants were to go belly up, I'm investing in a flavor country, and I'll be his workhorse for a while. <laughs> I I think it'd be fun to go stage at a couple of restaurants, you know, and see if I still got it. I mean, yeah. it's been a while. It'll take a minute, but I don't know. Do you think still think I could do? Think it? it's like riding no. a bike? No, no, nope. yeah, no. It'll take out a of game. It would take a while. To get back <laughs> the saddle there. Cut yeah. my finger mid shift or yeah. something. No, my knife skills are still good. <laughs> good to know. I do practice it. <laughs> now we've talked off the mics previously, and you told me that you know you went to horticulture school, and that's kind of when you started thinking about what you know this farm might look like, like you mentioned. But there was only one day of horticulture school. Horticulture school, excuse me that focus on mushrooms, but that was the day that just caught you. And there was something about that day where you were just like, yes, I love mushrooms. What was it about mushrooms that just like <laughs> caught your passion so furiously? I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. It was just seriously, <laughs> like I so said, the one day of the whole curriculum, I, I asked all the questions. I was that older guy in the class with mm-hmm. a bunch of younger, always asking questions. I was probably, you know, the annoying guy. But we did that day on mushrooms. I, uh, I took all the books home read them 
And then we did a mushroom lab, and I went down to my family's property, chopped up a bunch of trees because I was so excited, brought all the logs in. We inoculated the logs with shiitakes, and I just kept studying, watching YouTube videos, and taught myself how to grow mushrooms. Because there's not really a school to grow mushrooms. Yeah. (laughs) It's mycology, the study of fungi, Mm -hmm. but not growing mushrooms. So that's kind kind of a weird deal. That's why I don't think very many people grow them. I don't think so either. You know? So, like, when there's so little knowledge out there, how do you go about just piecing everything together to the point where you feel comfortable growing these things? Because I've been out to the farm. Like, I want people to understand this mushroom farming house that he's talking about, this thing is, like, a scientific marvel. Like, every room is a different temperature. It's an exact humidity. There are, like, several different stages of growing mushrooms. This is not, like... Just throw some seeds in the ground and you're going to get, you know, cherry tomatoes two months later or whatever. This is <laughs> right. really involved stuff. So how do you go from just like being passionate about mushrooms and saying this is awesome to actually becoming an expert? Because there's a lot of work that went in in between. A lot of work, a lot of studying and a lot of trial and error and a lot of errors, a lot of risks. Mm-hmm. You know, you mess up a lot of things to get where you are. I mean, I've probably, I probably did... 20, at least 20 different substrate formulations until I figured out the one that I like. And that's a lot of products you're moving in and out to get your, the most yield. And like you said, the different rooms with different temperatures. So as a mushroom cultivator, you, you control everything. Mm-hmm. It's all on you. I don't have to deal with rabbits and deer mm-hmm. and all this other, these other variables. Yeah, maybe some, some pests sometimes, but that's really it. Our biggest battle is, is molds and contaminations. But if you keep everything clean and you have a good program and a good system going, then you set yourself up for year-round cultivation where, where you're looking good. The worst thing that could happen to me would be a power outage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but yeah I, that'd be really bad. <laughs> that, I have a backup generator for that. But if that happens, my humidifier goes off, then, the, then all the blocks get shocked, or it, you know, that's very bad. Then I'm in big trouble. But at least I can control that. Mm-hmm. Somewhat. So Matt, when you first hear that your your old buddy has decided he's gonna start like you know a mushroom and produce farm, what what goes into your head? What's your first thought? I was surprised, but not surprised at all. Uh, he forgot a few things on his resume when he was listing that uh, extensive list, and he's damn you know jumped in a lot of things and mastered him very well the one thing i've known and noticed about kevin for known him so long is his ability to retain information is Mm -hmm. insane and i always am jealous of that because you can read something once and he retains it and uh so when he told me he was doing it i was obviously supportive but skeptical at the same time and then uh when you see his ambition and his uh dedication to it and the product speaking for itself you know he he made it happen and what he's built on his own is insane and obviously he's had support but i mean he's the guy building the the houses he's building the habitat for this produce and these mushrooms to grow it's insane how he has every level of it mastered Mm -hmm. and we've talked previously a, a quote that really stood out to me uh from what you told me was he talks about food the way i talk about food yeah like how important is it to find that quality in a producer very important he knows you know they're serious and they're on the same page with you and you have a common goal and in and that is to make people happy and, and give them a good product mm-hmm. now, how difficult 
is it to find awesome locally sourced mushrooms and microgreens in the Midwest? I would say uh, microgreens has really flourished in the last five years when you only saw a couple people doing it in Omaha. Now you're kind of seeing it everywhere. And I've had more people, you know, come in on a yearly basis and try to sell me microgreens. But like Kevin said, mushroom uh, cultivation is uh, very scarce. And I only know two other places that I've seen that do it in the Iowa and uh, local area. So like you said, when you see his operation, you start to wonder, should I actually be eating these? Because it's so <laughs> crazy what he's doing there. But, uh, you know, they're just a great product. And we've had mushrooms on the menu since, you know, Kevin started selling them to us. And they've been on there year-round in some fashion since then. So, What are some examples of dishes that you've incorporated since you started working with Flavor Country? I mean, Spetzel we had on the menu since day one, and it's always had his oyster mushrooms in it. We actually just took it off for the first time when we reopened after COVID, but uh, we did a veal and foie gras meatloaf with uh, the oyster mushrooms. That was good. And uh, we utilize it in gnocchi and pasta. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now we're doing uh, sweet corn succotash that has his mushrooms in it too, so... So obviously, Kevin, you've developed quite a following now. Now you're a, a pretty trusted producer. But when you're first, you know, breaking into the game and you're first like introducing yourself to chefs and restaurants around the city, like I'm sure it helps to, you know, have previous relationships with Matt and he can vouch for you and things like that. But how do you get your foot in the door and convince people that, hey, I'm here and my product is legit? Yeah, well, uh, re- you know, I just show up on the door with a crate of mushrooms, and they look nice. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, and just use some, sa- just be a salesman. Uh-huh. You know, really try to sell your product. You know, and uh, you know, it's always tough if there's another provider in there or you know a local guy. But you know, it's competitive. That's just how this name of the game. The, hmm. What was your question? Just how, how do you get your foot in the door? Like, how do you introduce your product to chefs for the first okay, time? Okay, so, so uh, you know, with Matt working, when I moved back here from Chicago, he was here as a head chef with, mm-hmm. with uh, Baby Blue. Mm-hmm. And I started working there. You know, and then once you start hanging out with all these industry people, then they go somewhere else, and then you go somewhere else, and then it kind of is just a big interweb. So the chefs of there have not gone on to other places and then other places there. And, you know, you develop those good relationships over time. And then it's just kind of like a spider web. So you're like, oh, so-and-so is there now. I'm going to go to that, uh, that restaurant all while you're already in the old restaurant that he was in. Now you can get in a new one because the sous chef moved along. Mm-hmm. And that kind of keeps going along and along. Um, and then really it's just the quality part of that mm-hmm. that sells it. But really, with, with getting the mushrooms there, I mean, mushrooms are crazy. It's always like a, a big eye-catcher. Mm-hmm. You know, when you walk in... They're like, beautiful, Whoa. yeah. You know, you just you just don't get those same type of ones from, like, a major distributor like uh, Cisco, you know, or a, a U.S. foods-type place. They're usually grown in China or Pennsylvania. By the time they get here, they're just way older, uh-huh. as opposed to a day old. Uh-huh. And it looks different. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've been to the farm. And you grow some like crazy looking stuff out there. Now it is it is delicious, but there's like there's stuff that looks like it's out of like a sci-fi film. Like some examples of things that you told me about, like a Berkeley tie-dye tomato. You mentioned the fatale peppers, purple confetti eggplants, bronze fennel, just like this crazy stuff. Matt, is, is Kevin ever brought you anything where you're just like, 
whoa, what is this? He tried to sell me a truffle from Iowa one time, and I told him to get the hell out of my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, everything... That was, you, a mis- that was an accident. Yeah. Those are one of the things I didn't want to try to eat. Uh, no, but everything you just spoke to, I mean, is, are items that I've had in my kitchen at one point or in the other, and uh, they're just stunning and beautiful and, and fun to work with. Um. I asked Kevin previously what the oddest thing a chef has ever asked him for. And he said someone asked him to grow wasabi root for him, like fresh. And he's like, well, you have to grow that in like volcanic ash. So probably not going to happen here. Volcanic soil. What's the craziest thing that you've asked Kevin for? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's something crazy, but... Yeah, not that yeah. you've particularly asked for, but yeah. think about that. Let's, we could do something later next yeah. year. <laughs> Sounds like a challenge. Yeah. So being the chef at two, uh, two restaurants, is there any kind of, like, play where you think, okay, maybe I want to use an ingredient at, at Butterfish, and it goes over super well, and as you play with it, you really start to like it, and then... Does your brain just start moving into, okay, how can I use this at Sternella too? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I think that's how, you know, all good chefs and, and creators work is, you know, visualizing something and, and utilizing it and making it your own. And then you start to think, I have this other concept that, uh, you know, plays to a different demographic. And how can I take this and translate that into a Sternella menu item opposed to a Butterfish menu item? Mm-hmm. Kevin, something that I'm super excited about once COVID has passed and everything, something that you've talked about is doing farm dinners out at Flavor Country Farms. Can you describe for the people like your vision for that and in an ideal world what you'd like that to look like? Sure. Yeah, so the farm dinners would be exactly what they are, a farm dinner. Uh, you know, brought to you by Flavor Country, partnered up with a certain chef, you know, featuring you know, Matt Mosier on a weekend or featuring Kane Adkinson or something like that, Mm -hmm. you know, and each of them are going to have their different ways. We can set up different spots in the farm of where we want to do this dinner on the deck, on the dock, in the field, in the greenhouse, in the orchard. There's just so many different areas we can do. And it'd be pretty neat to have some sort of like private club where people join this club and then they get to come out once a month or something like that. You know, maybe spring, summer, fall. It's just a really rough idea. It's not really refined yet, but once it does get refined, I think it's going to be pretty neat. So, Matt, if this thing does get refined, what does one have to do to get a ticket to a Matt Moser Flavor Country Farms dinner? Huh? Go online and <laughs> <laughs> pay a lot of money. Oh. Uh, no, not a lot. No, I mean, that's one thing when Kevin first showed me his land that I got excited about and, you know, almost jealous for that matter that, you know, his son and the rest of his children he may have get to grow up on you know such a beautiful piece of property like that so i know we want to do dinners out there and it'll happen sooner or later yeah our, our first dinner will probably be invite only just yeah, yeah more mm-hmm. likely yeah yeah it's really neat out there you know for all that you've seen those spots where you could have a oh, potential yeah, table be beautiful get some picnic tables out there and you know uh gosh i mean you could even have uh, our guests go pick their own tomatoes if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much work they want to do, but some people <laughs> like to do that. Uh-huh. You know, get involved with the whole harvesting aspect and then watching a chef prepare it and things like that. Uh-huh. There's just a certain demographic that really enjoy that, and I think our place is the perfect place for that mm-hmm. that, I, that I've seen. And we're, we're well set up for that. Mm-hmm. 
And another thing that I think is really interesting that you talked about as a potential for flavor country is having like almost an education center on site because, you know, like you talked about, there's not really a go-to to learn about mushrooms and how to grow mushrooms. You had to really just like give yourself a crash course by, by reading books, by watching YouTube videos, by going on forums, by doing all this stuff and like cobbling all this knowledge together. And you obviously did a great job, but you're, from what you told me previously, you're kind of looking for a way to share that knowledge now with other people, right? Yeah, certainly. I think it'd be something really neat to do in the future. um, You know, get people from the Midwest and even across the country, you know, to come out and, you know, you can camp right up at Hitchcock Nature Center, which is basically my backyard. Uh, There's just all sorts of neat things with the educational aspect and not only just mushrooms. Let's say it's a week long uh, course couple days on mushrooms a day on microgreens a day on produce uh-huh. or maybe a day on sustainability i mean there's just so many different things that you don't know about until you're out at the farm as a, as a grower or a cultivator mm-hmm. you know and uh it, it's just fantastic okay matt having you on the podcast there's something i need to ask you about that is not related to producers microgreens actually it's about as far away from green as we can get okay i this is a very inconspicuous start to a question yeah don't worry okay uh I need to know about the gooey butter bar. Like, I'm not asking you to give me, like, all the trade secrets or, like, break down the recipe, but anything you can tell me about this, it's one of my favorite sure. desserts, like, I've ever had. I just want some kind of knowledge, some kind of peek behind the curtain because this it's addicting. It's uh, a lot easier than you think. And we I had an employee who was had a roommate who was a pastry chef in town, and he was trying to dissect it and think about how he did it. And it's literally four ingredients. <laughs> and it's literally a ripoff of the Momofuku uh, oh, really? butter bar. My wife was born and raised in St. Louis. So the first time I went there, gooey butter bar in the gas station, gooey butter bar in the store, gooey butter bar at the restaurant, and everyone's interpretation of it. And I was like, God, this is absolutely delicious. I have to do mine. So just like Kevin does, you know, I scour the internet and scour my cookbooks, and I come and find this recipe and we've tweaked it and made our own set with, you know, the banana curd and the Nutella ice cream. And it's uh, there to stay and won't go anywhere. I'm absolutely sick of it. It's diabetes <laughs> and a dessert. But oh, uh, we've made it into milkshakes. We've done everything the staff could do with it. And we're just kind of all over it. But, you know, it's when you have it in small bites, it's, it's great. Um, but it's literally yellow cake mix, cream cheese, butter, and eggs. That's it. Wow. And there you go. Eggs. But it, it's... The go. key is the baking, and yeah. it's a pain in the butt, and you have to nail it right. And But when it comes out perfect, it's a great texture. It is amazing. Yeah. My wife and I, we're not, like, huge dessert people. So usually when we go to a restaurant, we'll get, like, an appetizer, a couple entrees, you know, try different things, but usually not dessert. But when we went to Sternella for the first time, I still remember this. Like, people told us. They were like, you have to get this thing for dessert. And we were like, okay, we'll we'll break down. Fine. We'll do it. And yeah, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is, we were like fighting each other. Our spoons were just like clashing against each other, trying to get to it faster. Yeah. Oh man, it was, and then it was ice cream fantastic. sets it off too. Right. right? Yeah. Cream, I mean, yeah, you know? it's, it's great without the ice cream, but then yeah, you just add that in and that's the, that's the icing on top of the cake. So right before 
well, right before all the restaurants shut down mm-hmm. with the virus and everything, Matt called up uh, his friends and we were able to go and grab a bunch of produce and stuff that would have been perishable at Sternella. Mm-hmm. I got about 10 of those gooey butter. <laughs> oh. Took them home. My wife was like, oh, God. But we ate them all. That's dangerous. Yeah, it was pretty wild, you know, and uh, that was just a nice little gift. So... I'm just curious because you guys obviously have a cool relationship and you have a background as a chef. Do you ever go into Matt's restaurants and like, you know, just give him a hard time and be like, oh, well, what if you would do this with this dish? Or oh, I thought that dish needed a little more salt, something like that. You no, know, I did before, maybe way back, and he got mad. <laughs> I quit doing it. Yeah. You, su- you suggest dishes. I, I suggest yeah. things a few times, you know. Use car sales. What to do, you know, like that tender basil. Yeah. You know, it's good yeah. stuff there. Uh, just minor suggestions now. I just go in there and enjoy. And, you know, when we go in, he, he'll he actually serve our table sometimes and bring it out and present it. And, you know, he sells his VIP food the best because he's the chef. Yeah. He knows the best, mm-hmm. you know, and it's nice. Mm-hmm. And it'd be cool to see a little bit more of that type of stuff, you know, around town where the, the chef is the server type deal. I know we had a couple of places in Chicago that did that. Um, we just don't see that around here. Mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. So as we wind down here, I want to I want to give some plugs to uh, you guys' establishments here. Matt, can you maybe tell us what are some seasonal things you've got on the menu right now that you're really excited about at Sternella and Butterfish? Um, you know, Kevin was just able to get me some sweet corn uh, a couple weeks back, so we've been using that uh, most recently in the street corn risotto. So it's mm. a play on you know, elote and, and street corn, and it's got cotija cheese and roasted corn and caramelized no uh, summer squash, and then tahine, which is a uh, chili powder from Mexico you might find on a michelada rim, and we sprinkle that on top, and then we actually take the corn and fry it and dehydrate it, so it's like crispy corn uh, garnish on top. That's one of my favorites. And then right now at um, Butterfish, I would have to say what my – Chef de Cuisine, Phil created a sweet garlic, sweet garlic shrimp dish when he makes his scallion pancakes from scratch. It's really, really great bite. So, oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, mm. if, yeah, if we weren't hungry yet, <laughs> we are now. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And then Kevin, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about how you know you supply restaurants with products, but your products are available to the general public as well. Where can people get their hands on Flavor Country Farms produce? And, uh, and the like, mushrooms. So right now, we have a few areas to get our mushrooms. You can get them at High V on 180th and Pacific. Get them at Wenninghoff, as well as Cream of the Crop Produce Stand, which is on 76th and Cass. I believe they're open seven days a week. And then I have our own little Flavor Country Farm Stand at Casey's Gas Station in Crescent, Iowa, on Fridays from 3 to 7. All right. There it is. I think that's that's about it for now, but we're trying to expand our, our, our retail outlets uh, quite a bit. That's going to be our big winter move, so, you know, people can look around in their local Hy-Vees mm-hmm. and uh, Woolners and stuff like that, because mm-hmm. we're going to be going for it. I know. Something you mentioned to me previously is if anybody wants to check out the farm and see what farming life is like, they can come out and intern for you with fresh produce as their payment. Yeah, yeah so. absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yep, come hang out for a day and... Uh, Pick some weeds and get a box of produce. There you go. But trust me, people, it's a good trade-off. This is really good produce. Like, these are not the normal tomatoes you're getting from the grocery store or cucumbers or anything like that. This stuff is awesome. Yeah, then with the mushrooms we have, you know, we do about five types of mushrooms. 
uh, the Black King, Lion, Lion, I almost said Lion, Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> Lion King mushrooms making your That's own gonna now. That's going to be a cross. That's yeah. Gonna, yeah. So Lion's main, uh, King Trumpet, the Black King, the Chestnut, and the Oysters are our main five that we go with. So those are always available to our volunteers as well. And they are delicious. Yeah. All right. I've taken up too much of you guys' time. I thank you so much, Kevin and Matt, for coming in, giving me some time today. Thanks, guys. Thank well, you, thank Dan. you, Dan, for having Appreciate us. It. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. yeah. And Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. Yeah.